Our summer series is all about love this year. How to love, how to find love, what love is, what love isn't, what to do when you have trouble loving, how to grow in love, where does love begin, is there such a thing as true love when you make eye contact with somebody across the room, what do we do and how do we love people that we disagree with or don't get along with. Do I have to love everybody? And the answer to that question may surprise you. How do I show love to enemies or those on the other side of something that I'm on the other side of? And the goal of the series is two things. Is the first thing is that first we have a growing understanding of God's love for us. It was the realization in my life that God could not love me anymore and that he would not love me any less than he already did that led to my transformation in Jesus. It was, there was emotion in the moment, but it was not driven by emotion. That God throughout my life has let these little breadcrumbs, these little breadcrumbs to experience his love through this world and through other people to find out that God loved me and could not love me anymore or any less than he already did. And so our first goal is to grow in our understanding of God's love for us. And our second goal is that we are each growing in our capacity to love other people. One of my favorite questions to ask and came from a leader, he asked this question is, is my capacity to love others increasing? Is my capacity in that sense of being able to welcome others, to be more patient, more kind with others, is that a growing aspect of my life or am I becoming more hard-hearted, less able to love, less able to embrace? Which direction is my love capacity going? And each week, there'll be a little bit of homework, because ultimately, it's not the words of the preacher that cause us to become more loving people. There won't be a lot of stories of inspirational stories of this person that loved in history or that person that loved in history. The way that we grow in our capacity to love others is a deeper realization of God's love in our life. That's what propels us to a deeper love for other people. I think almost all people act in this world as if they have some idea what love is. Those inside the church, those outside the church, neighbors, friends, strangers, they all act as if they have some idea what love is. Even if that idea of love may be different than our idea of love or may be different of somebody else's idea of love. That word love is so powerful that everybody wants to be involved in it in a way that they think is the right way to be involved. The word love has taken on so many meanings, so many ideas, so many different definitions that most people just act as if they have some idea what love is. For some, love may just be a feeling. It ebbs and flows. It goes up and down. I feel in love and then I feel out of love. I feel like a loving person then I don't feel like a loving person. Many people look at love and say it's that emotional ups and downs. Someone look at love and say, well, there needs to be passion to it and intensity to it. It must be a driving force behind everything that we do. And if there's not that driving force there, then it can't be love. We're driven to be with someone. It must be intense. It must be passionate. In our day, we've elevated tolerance to that definition of love. And as long as I'm 
okay with everybody else. As long as I just kind of give a passive agreement to everything that's happening around me. And as long as what they're doing doesn't affect me, then that can be love. But it's really just tolerance from a distance. See, there's a difference between tolerance and love. Tolerance is the ability to be okay with a lot of things, but never get close enough to actually love. I'll tolerate their behavior as long as it doesn't get in the way of what I want. The tolerance always keeps us at a distance instead of getting us close. We like to put love in phrases and live by those phrases. Uh, people will look at that Beatles song. All you need is love. Love is all you need. And without really wondering what the source of that love is or what the characteristics of that love is. When there's an offense in our culture or when something tragic happens, we'll start posting hashtag love wins because it makes us feel good and we give people points for pointing again to love. But we ask, must ask that question, well, what love? Yes, love wins, but how do we define the love that is winning in this world and winning for other people? For some, love is that desire and that affection. When I see something I want and like, I can call it love, whether that's a person I'm attracted to or an ice cream cone. We have all done things for love. Maybe not always the best things for love. There's that old meatloaf song where meatloaf said, I would do anything for love, but never tells us actually what he would do for love in the midst of the song. It just goes on for 10 minutes as he says it over and over again. That we've all done kind of crazy things for love. We have all been foolish in love. We have done things within our lives to try and obtain love. We have all done them because within the human spirit, there's this need to find love, to connect in love, to be able to be known by what love is. And so we're driven by this need from lo for love. We want to know what love feels like. It's just like the song, I want to know what love is. We want to find it. We want to understand it. We want to be known by it. We want to be loved and known that we are loved. And oftentimes the biggest hole in our lives is going to become because we sense that there's an absence of love inside us. We can maybe deal with an absence of peace or an absence of other things, but an absence of love causes us to go on the search for love that's out there. So when we see something done in love, it makes the headlines. It's something we want to share with others, especially if we have not seen it and it looks like a new discovery or a new depth of love that had yet gone unexperienced in our lives. And that's what John does in his book about Jesus. John begins to describe the last 24 hours of Jesus' life and he does so with this description. He says, it was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. But John, reflecting back, looked at the life of Jesus. And he gives this kind of topic sentence for everything else that happens in the book. 
John would almost say, you know what, I thought that I had seen love before. I had thought I had seen it in where I grew up and in the town that I grew up in or in other people. But now I'm going to tell you about a man who lived love or showed love in a way that I had never seen before. And it came when he washed feet and it came when he taught us at the Last Supper. And it came when he went to the cross and it came when he was resurrected. That there's a depth to love that I had never seen before. And he says... Here's Jesus, and he loved us to the utmost. He loved us to the fullest. He loved us to the point of death. He loved us to the point of new life. John is telling us that in Jesus, he found a love like he had never seen or experienced before. Way beyond feelings, way beyond desire, way beyond emotion, way beyond all you need is love. John begins to see that love is who Christ is, and he introduces us to a new depth of understanding. John had seen Jesus every step of the way, and he put together all the pieces after the resurrection and came to the conclusion that if we're going to define love and understand love and experience love and be loving towards others, it had to start with Jesus. I think before Jesus, love was always a little bit vague. We'd give different definitions to it, different feelings to it. And yet when Jesus came, love became more concrete. We could understand it more. The cl- and the further we get away from Jesus again in our definition of love, the more vague it becomes and the more likely we are to create our own definitions again. The more we see Jesus, experience Jesus, and study the life of Jesus, the more concrete love becomes. And so John, in reflecting back on this again, he'll go on to talk about love to a new depth, a new quality in Jesus that he had never seen before. And he does this in his letter in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Whoever does not love has never seen this quality of love before. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's a key phrase. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We will be like Jesus. John sees in the life of Jesus that God is driven by love. A creation, we were created from love and for love. Everything was created out of love. This universe and its simplicity and its complexity, where all the physics and all the math are perfect for life, it was created out of love. 
the oceans which sustain life. They were created out of love. The air that we breathe, created out of love. The gravity that's perfect for life on earth, created in love. The sun that was just the right distance to sustain life. It was created from love, motivated by love, inspired by love. God wills nothing but is good, and that comes from his love. And in John, we see this pattern. And we won't walk through the text verse by verse, but this is the pattern of love in our universe. And it starts first with God first loved us. But all love begins with God, for God is love. And then the second part of it is God's love awakens love inside us. That God first loved us and then God's love is awakened inside us. The third part of what John describes here is God loves us, love is awakened in us, and now we are able to love other people. That awakened love in us allows us to love those around us. And then the fourth part of it is as we love and others love us, that's when that love is made complete among us. That God first loved us, love is awakened, we begin to love, and then others begin to love us, and that's when love is made complete. We can recognize we are loved by God, but if we stop there, it's not complete. Oh, God loves me no matter what. It's then not complete. We can recognize that we are loved by God and have love awakened inside us. But if we stop there, love is not complete. We can recognize God's love, have it awakened inside us. And we can even love those around us, but it's still not complete. It's only complete when we experience God's love. God's love is awakened inside us. We begin to love other people. And out of that, a community of love with Christ at the center is formed. And that's what Christ envisions the church to be. That God's love is not made complete when we see it or experience it, but only when we begin to show it towards others and experience it from others. We were created by love and for love, and that love is shown to us through Jesus Christ. And if we were to ask John how to sum up this whole passage, I think you could sum it up this way. Is that the point of being a human being, the point of being born, the point of being here on earth is to learn to love because God is love. And if we are not becoming more loving people, then we are missing out on the destiny that God has for us. And so Paul took the life of Jesus and he wrote about love in 1 Corinthians. And we're getting in the wedding season. How many of you have weddings to go to this year? Yeah, you'll probably hear this passage read at the wedding. I, we've done, I've done so many weddings. It's read all the time at weddings. I tried to remember if we read it at my wedding to Rochelle. And I cannot remember if we read this passage or not at our wedding. Do you remember? Yeah, I was so caught up with Rochelle's beauty. The rest of the day was a blur. And so I can't remember if we read this or not. But normally what I find at this text at weddings, and it's not always true, but it's normally like you got to get the aunt and uncle to read this text because you're not comfortable with them doing anything else at the wedding. 
You know, it's always the aunt or uncle that is a little bit like you're worried if you don't give them a job, you're worried about the time at open bar later. So it's always the most difficult people that they give this text to read in weddings thinking that, well, maybe it'll sink in for them if they're reading this passage. And so you begin to walk through each one at a wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so as the bride and groom, you need to be patient and kind to one another. Love does not boast or proud. And before I read this text, I used to think that I want to remind Rochelle that I'm right as often as I can because that'll help boost confidence in my decision-making in her. Um, But the scriptures say don't do that. Don't just brag when you're right. But what Paul is saying in this text is this text is not so much for marriages. This text is not a description of marital love. This text is not even a description of behaviors that we are to take on. What Paul is saying in this text is love has these characteristics because love is from God and God has these characteristics. This is what God is like. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy or boast or is proud. And it's good that we have a God that does not is not envy or boastful or proud because there's nothing worse than a tyrant who is envious and boastful and proud. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God does not delight in the truth, does not delight in evil. In fact, evil breaks the heart of God. God always rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God is always trustworthy. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God never fails. Christ never fails. Paul is listing the characteristics of God and telling this church because God is this way. This is the way that you are to live and love with one another. And see how pointing to Christ takes out the vagueness of the church. Love. He didn't say to this church, all you need is love, church. Love is all you need. He didn't say to the Corinthians, hey, love wins. No, Paul says, here's the concrete definition of love, and it is God. And because God is this loving, this is how you are to be with one another. And Paul had to write it to this church because this church in Corinth was in a lot of trouble. They are torn apart by factions and divisions. There are people seeking their own advantage in the community so they could shape everything according to the way they wanted it to be. There's disunity over worship and leadership and spiritual gifts. And Paul comes to the church and says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. I'm going to show you the most excellent way. Because there's those around you now that they just want to impress each other with spiritual gifts. And Paul says, you know what, if you can impress people with your spiritual gifts, that's great. But if you don't have love, it's of no use to you. Or there are some that want to impress each other with their intelligence. And Paul says, if you're really smart, and if you're just reminding people how smart you are, but if you don't have love, all that brain power is a waste of time. And I wonder in our world that we look at brain power as being so important, but how much brain power in our world is a waste of time because love is not associated with it, because love is not the catalyst for that brain power to be used. 
If you have great faith and you've been able to take great risks, but you have not loved, then you're only doing it so that one day you can say, look at how risk-taking we were and how risky we were, and use that as a place to boast. Paul reminds them about God's love for them to awaken their love for each other in the midst of their factions and their divisions. And so Paul starts, you know, love is patient. God is patient. I'm so glad that God is patient with us. That God is patient with me when I stray. God is patient with me when I'm trying to figure out what matters in life. God is patient with me in the midst of my doubts. God is patient with me in the midst of my mistakes. God realizes that for people like me to grow, there's often not a quick fix. That if God is loving, patience is required because the whole process of growth requires patience because growth in any of our lives does not happen overnight or in a moment. Growth in our character and in our life and in our connection with God, it requires slowness because the best things in life do not happen by a quick fix. They happen by going slow. Because God is patient with me, I can be shaped by, the, by his patience to be patient with other people. As a kid, I didn't like that word patience. Because when mom said, you need to have patience, it always meant that I had to sit around and wait and do nothing. That's what patience meant to me. And yet patience is never about powerlessness. Patience is never about sitting and doing nothing Patience is never about passiveness. The patience is very much the opposite of that when God describes it. When God is patient with us, God is not passively sitting back doing nothing. God is actively working in our lives to achieve what God wants to achieve inside us. When we're impatient with others, Henry Nouwen says it usually causes a couple things. When we're impatient, we can tend to flee And we just kind of give up saying, oh, that person will never get it. Or impatient can cause us to fight, to engage in a hostile way, as if to say, you better fix this part of your personality now. You better fix it quick. But if God is patient with us, if God can enter into our mistakes, our struggles, our hurts, our slowness, and our pain, and if God does not rush us towards healing... It allows us to do the same for others. I'm glad that God is patient with me. But often with others, I want to skip all the intermediate steps of growth that need to happen in their life and just get to the result that I want. I want the quick fix in others, but I'm okay with a quick fix not happening in my life. And I'm reminded of Thomas Kempis's line where he says, Be not angry that you cannot make others as you want them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. Since God is love and God's love is patient, then for us to grow in God and to grow in life, we are also called to grow in patience. And we wonder, well, how do we do that? Well, again, I don't think it comes with an inspirational story. I think it comes from reflecting on how God has been patient with us. 
And so this week could be a little homework for you. You could ask this question. What is shaping me towards impatience when I'm impatient? What is making me, what is it about my life that's making me impatient? Am I always in a rush? Am I driven by such perfectionist tendencies that I expect that in others? Do I just want quick fixes instead of slow healings that are more long-lasting? What causes us impatience? And then we begin to look at it and ask this question, when has God needed to be most patient with me? What time in your life, what moment in your life was God patient with you? And you got to the end of that moment and say, oh God, I'm so glad you didn't give up on me. I'm so glad you didn't leave me in the lurch. I know I moved slow through that period of life, but you stuck with me through the ebbs and flows because you loved me. When has God needed to have the most patience with you? Love is patient. God is patient. God is slow to anger. God is entering into all the growth of life with us and walking with us. And we're called to show that same patience to other. Love is patient. And then we see that love is kind. God is kind. And this does... This goes beyond just being a nice person or having a pleasant demeanor. Like kindness is that ability to put others at ease. Kindness refrains from doing things that harm others. Kindness is that ability to move into somebody's life and to add something that they don't have in that particular moment. When I was in seminary, one of my favorite places to go was to the prayer room. It was a very calming place and I would... You know, very cliche, seminary students praying in the prayer room. But it was actually a very important thing in my spiritual growth and development. And I'd walk into that room, sometimes anxious and frustrated and angry. And I'd come out at ease in a different place. And that was God's kindness to me. In my time, in that time in life, God always became that calming presence, that place where God could come to me. That's God's kindness coming through. Romans 2.4, Paul says this. Realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That goes way beyond niceness. That niceness, a nice God, doesn't cause us to turn around our life. A pleasant God with a nice demeanor doesn't cause us to turn around our life. A kind God who puts us at ease, who brings calm, who walks with us, who never has a harsh word. A God who is kind and always generous with us. That kind of kindness begins to shape us as people. Louis Smedes, he did a great sermon on kindness and he talks about Frederick Nietzsche who looked at kindness and said it's all these kind people that are making us weak as a culture. Kindness is stealing our culture of its strength and of our weakness. And I think you could probably find people in our day to say that's what's happening in our culture today, that there's too much niceness, too much kindness, and it's weakening our world. And what Lewis Smedes said in response to that, he said, but that's not the way it was with Jesus, is that Jesus' kindness came from someone with higher authority and higher power to add life to someone of lower power and lower status. And Lewis Mead says that is a sign of great strength and the strength that comes from the power of kindness. 
God in his strength and power and in his prestige. He takes that power and decides to use that loving power to help us with little power grow in strength and grow in status. God's kindness increases the power of a weaker person. One of my favorite story or moments was with one of my pastors and we went to Taco Bell and um, we were in line, one of the first people in line and it was obvious that the kid behind the counter was maybe his first or second day. He was struggling horribly just typing things into the cash register. It was taking so long to take our order not because it was complicated, but because he was new, that a line of four to five people had formed behind us. And now the tension had ratcheted up even more because there were more people waiting. And I remember my friend Rick just turning to this boy behind the counter and says, it's okay, we are not in a rush. Just take your time. If you need to start over, that is okay. My friend Rick was in the power position at that point and he took that power and he was kind to that person and it brought power to the weaker person in that moment. It elevated him to a place that he was not there before. And I remember how kind my friend was that day and how he brought calm to that situation. Because we could have easily turned to the people behind us and just gave the eye roll and raised the tension even more. We could have turned to the people behind us and even said something and robbed that person of their dignity even more and made them lesser than they already were. But instead, my friend, in his kindness, he speaks words of strength and words of love. He speaks kind words and it elevates this person in the room to a place that they would not have achieved if it wasn't for my friend's kindness, which came out of God's kindness to him. I love seeing the strength of character in my friend that day that came through kindness. Love is patient. Love is kind. God is patient. God is kind. And we have been shown that patience and that kindness uh, that it would awaken patience and kindness in each of us to where we can show that to other people and have that same patience and kindness returns to us. That's where God love is made complete. And so we'll close with two questions today. And you can journal about these this week. That when has God shown his love to me through his patience? And the second one is when has God showed his kindness to me? For when we realize the kind of love that we've been loved with, it now inspires us to love others with that same kind of love. Let us pray.